Welcome to Modern Sign Books. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their lives and writing with our book specialist, Roger Nichols. And don't forget to pick up a copy of your favorite books at bjbooks.com. Here's Roger. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Our guest this morning is best-selling novelist and screenwriter Blake Crouch. He's written more than a dozen novels, been translated in over 30 languages. His short fiction has appeared in numerous publications, including the classics, Ellery Queen and Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazines. His international best-selling Wayward Pines trilogy, adopted into a television series for Fox, executive produced by M. Night Shyamalan, that was summers of 2015's number one show. With Chad Hodge, he's created Good Behavior, the TNT television show starring Michelle Dockery, based on his Lady Dobish novels, and he is the author of the novel Dark Matter, for which he is currently, or maybe even done by now, writing the screenplay for Sony Pictures. He lives in Colorado, and he's with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning from uh, Colorado. All right. Um, I love this. Rotten Tomatoes gives your meta review for your work, calling it creepy and strange in the best way possible. That's a a heck of an accolade. I love that. that is exactly what I try to to zero in on. I started started off as a horror novel, as a horror novelist with desert places and, and locked doors, and I've definitely moved away from that as my career has progressed. But I've always tried to hold on to that tinge of horror and that creeping dread, and I I don't ever want to lose that, even as I'm writing you know bigger, more science uh-huh. fiction, thrillery driven books. You know, there's not a lot on your background out there other than you're a North Carolinian and that you graduated from UNC at Chapel Hill in 2000 with degrees in English and creative writing. And usually people, they they talk about those people end up teaching English instead of actually doing the writing. But you took it to heart. I thought I was going to be an English teacher at first. When I uh, went to college, I'd say my first two years, my track was headed towards me becoming an English professor. And I loved my English classes, and I loved that track of, of becoming an English major, but I realized I didn't want to be a professor, that the creative and the fiction side of writing just held so much more appeal to me. So there was no creative writing major at Carolina. There was only a, a minor. And I dove into that program. I took all of the courses I possibly could, and in fact, I had this independent study, which my was my last class there, and it was with this professor named Bland Simpson, who was my mentor back then. And for that independent study, we edited the first draft of Desert Places. Oh, sweet! <laughs> Extra credit when you get published, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but this leads me to a thought: Have you gone back to, to the university? Appeared as a, as a guest lecturer? I have not gone back as a guest lecturer. I went back years and years ago and dropped in on my professors and said hi and thanks. And I think I talked to a class. Uh-huh. Oh, it would they have should been be years calling ago. you. But <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I, I hope that my life gets less busy to a point where I could take a semester uh-huh. off and uh, from writing and, and, and teach. Uh, I, I don't see that happening in the near future, though. Yeah. Um, 
Did you have a comfortable childhood? I did. Wow. It's a fun, abrupt. <laughs> well, we, we spin real quickly here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. I grew up in the Piedmont of North Carolina, north of, of Charlotte in this town called Statesville. Lived in this suburban neighborhood uh, surrounded by woods and fields. And I had a group of kids I played with, and it was a very good childhood. I was free to explore my creative interests. Mm-hmm. I wrote short fiction, short stories back as early as middle school. And I was always encouraged. And I mean, writing was never something I thought I would ultimately be able to make a living at. I wanted to, um, but no one discouraged me from it. I was always very uh, supported by my parents and my teachers. Just, I have to ask this. Where do you think the dark streak comes from? You know, I, I, I wish I could answer that for you. Um, it probably has to do with growing up in the Bible Belt of North Carolina, which, I mean, I love North Carolina. I love that I'm from there. But there is something very insidious under the surface in communities that have that are based on extreme fundamentalism. And I think I didn't, I grew up in that, and that's all I knew. And I think maybe the dark streak was, which emerged even as I was in North Carolina still and getting my education. But I mean, the first novel I published was this very dark little patch of horror does your places. And I don't know, I think maybe it was a reaction to that. Um, weirdly, the farther I get from that environment, my fiction seems to be lightening up a bit. Yeah. I, I, I get the feeling that you're a, like a scientist with a clipboard and the curiosity, not a detached scientist, but one incredibly curious, putting your protagonists through really tough situations to find out what they're made of. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I love putting a, what I try to do is place the protagonist in a situation where they are utterly at the end of their rope. Uh, because I think that's where characters really come into their own. That's where they find out who they are and what they're made of. That's, for me as a reader, those are the kind of characters I like to read about who have everything to lose and are on the brink of their life completely being turned upside down. I, I, I can't imagine really ever writing a character who wasn't, I mean, a main character, a protagonist, the anchor of the book. I can't imagine writing one of those who wasn't at the very end of the rope. Uh-huh. And I, I guess there was a line that came to me as I was reading, actually reading through the fully loaded, the, the collection. I said, here is a guy who finds the poetry in the pain. Hmm. I, I love that. Have, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, wow. You're going deep. You're going deep into my catalog. You're going to the short stories with, oh, uh, I, with, I, with fully loaded. I have, to, I have to say, and I want to talk about a couple of them in that, because those, well, that was my first exposure to you, and, and, I, and I, that was a, a huge awakening. So I, I, w- I want to get into some of those. But um, uh, I also, it looked to me like many of them are about love, despite the horror tinge. Hmm. Hmm. I haven't thought of it that way, but I think you're right. Uh, the short stories were, I wrote those, I started, I basically wrote all of those in a year to two year period. And 
I've never really thought of it this way, but they were a bridge between the desert places, locked doors, um, kind of abandoned period of my career where I was still figuring out who I was as a writer and not sure. And uh-huh. I loved the horror, but I was taking it so deep into the horror territory. I, I was not opening my arms to as many readers as I wanted to have. Uh-huh. And then I got obsessed with writing short fiction, probably starting back in 2007 when I wrote that story, Shining Rock, and uh-huh. and then remaking and yeah. The Pain of Others. And it just suddenly, I, I kind of started to, I think, find my voice and more importantly, my style of writing. Um, yes. Because like with, with remaking, it was one of the first times I started really stripping back my prose style. And I think my early novels were far too wordy, too, they were trying too hard to be beautiful in terms of the way sentences were constructed. And with remaking in particular, I just remembered stripping it way back and, and really liking it. And I, short stories are hard and I yeah. haven't written any since basically unconditional. Uh-huh. Uh, but for whatever reason, that was an, an important step for me leading into the period where I would write Run and Wayward Pines and ultimately Dark Matter. So I, I don't know, I have a very uh, happy memory of that time professionally because it was something that I needed to do was, is, is break down and just write short stories, find these, because they're hard. They're like little ideas that have to work in you know, 10 to 30 to 40 pages. And it, it, I, I haven't written any more because I haven't had any ideas like that that are so, <laughs> that have to be short stories instead of yeah. a novel. It's, it's yeah. a very curious art form. I, I wanted to compare two of those, and, and you mentioned both of them, Remaking and uh, Unconditional, both of which have the most amazing last lines that really snapped everything into sharp focus. And um, they are very much about love, father-son love. Yeah. And uh, anyway, oh, I just wanted to... You know, I'd had my son, I'd had my son, my first uh, child in 2005. Uh, and maybe part of what was driving me into writing about those situations mm-hmm. and those relationships, because it's very, you know, anyone who has kids knows that when you first have a, bring a child into the world, it completely changes your oh, the way you look at life and the way yes. you look at everything. And you become, became suddenly much more emotional about certain things and, and just the sense of nostalgia and time passing really ramps up. Uh, yeah, I, Unconditional. I, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's the shortest thing I've ever written, but it's, I think it's for me. I think it's the best thing I've ever written. It is incredibly powerful uh, story. And um, could we share that with people just because it's so short? Share, sure. share what it, what it's about. Um, it is about. Yeah. It, yeah. Go. I'll let you tell the story because you're the storyteller. Well, I don't. I don't. I want to tell it in a way that doesn't ruin it for people because. Yes. Um, it is. I forget how many words it is. I don't even think it's 2,000 words. It's short. I mean, it's virtually. literally five pages. And it's, it's about a father going to visit his son in the worst possible scenario. And it's about love. I and mean, that's what the title comes from. It's about pure, unconditional love. And it's partly told through the reading of a letter that the father has written to his son. And then it breaks out of that and we hear the son's response. And 
in the son's response, we realize the full horror of the situation. I can't ruin it for no, 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 no. They should but check I, it out, I, and it's and it's it'll, it literally would take eight minutes of their time to right. read. And and I will say again, the last line is incredibly powerful. So now that we've teased you, go out quick, find a copy and read it because you will be very much changed as a result of doing that. So. Um, so I, I, I want, it affected me a great deal. That's why I wanted to, to share that w- with other folks out there. Um, one of the things also in that book was uh, The Pain of Others, which I think is the first introduction of Letty. It's the first introduction of Letty. Yeah. It's the uh, first episode of Good Behavior, this mm-hmm. new television show that will premiere on TNT on November 15th. In fact, just... Uh, on Tuesday night, uh, Chad Hodge and I shared the pilot episode with uh, a crowd for the first time at the uh, New York TV Festival, and it was really fun seeing it. I mean, I'd seen many co- many cuts of it on my computer. I hadn't seen it on like a big movie screen, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun seeing seeing Letty there, and also you know talking to the crowd about where that show began, which was that short story, The Pain of Others, which was written in the same period of time. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, but it sets up one of those uh, situations where what would it, you ask yourself, what would you do in a similar situation? Could you mm-hmm. handle it? Would you walk away from it? Would you try to help? All, all those questions get a- asked in there. And I think that's, again, one of the, the things that drives your prose it's people trying to find out. It's it's the old thing about the, the guy in the marketplace sitting there telling the story with a little bowl with coins in it and every so often stopping at key points and shaking the bowl suggestively. And you go, yes, yes, give me more, give me more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so What's something that fascinates me as uh, what I love is the – trying to figure out the best way to, to put this. Okay, so I'm starting to work on a, on a new book, and one of the things that fascinates me is – in movies and TV and books that I'm reading is when I'm utterly engrossed with a character and a story, but I have no idea where it's going Mm. or each page is just revealing a new thing to me and kind of leading me down this path, but I have no idea where it's going. And the, the idea of being able to sustain that for, you know, the first act of a book for a hundred pages is something that's so fascinating to me. And it's one of the things I love about this Letty short story, The Pain of Others, is that we sort of just crash into her world. We don't know who she is. We really know nothing about her, and we just follow her around until she's, you know, she's a thief, she's a meth addict, and when we meet her, she's walking into this ritzy hotel to rip off hotel rooms of the guests because she has this little side agreement with one of the bellmen who has a universal key card. She goes into this one room, and there's nothing really there. She's like, oh. But then the guest comes back and she has to hide in this closet. And while, and while she's hiding in this closet, she overhears the guests of this hotel room and another man doing a deal to kill one of their wives. And this sets her in motion down this path of her very gray area morality and what she's willing to risk to save a stranger. Because, I mean, Letty is no saint herself. And, you know, her, her first instinct is to not get involved at all because you know, it's someone else's problem and, and she's out for herself. But just the idea of being able to 
slowly reveal character and plot to, to a reader without them knowing anything about the story is, is something that's really been appealing to me lately. Do you, when you start, do you know the ending? No. Uh. Sometimes, but not always. Uh, I wish I did. God, yeah. I wish I did. Once I really know the ending, then I, I'm like, all right, cooking with gas. Um, notions of endings. Um, I have really broad ideas of what it could be and what it should be, but generally I, I don't really know what the ending is until I'm at least at the midpoint. Mm-hmm. And and often when I talk to, to our uh, authors, they say that they start down one road with their character and the character says, I'm not going there. I'm going to go here and surprises them. Yeah, it's true. And the smart authors follow their characters because mm-hmm. they, you know, that's, that's the best thing when that happens because that means the character is showing you. I mean, you've created this character, but the character is logically doing the things that you've said that they should do. If you don't listen to your characters and you don't follow them, that's when you wind up in scenarios where readers realize, and they're very smart, and they always know the moment it happens, where the writer is trying to force the character to do something to push forward a plot that they've envisioned. And, I mean, I believe me, sometimes you don't realize the character is taking you in a different direction, and, and you start to get this sort of sick feeling in your stomach as you're writing that's telling you this doesn't feel totally right. And that's why you have to, you have to know who your characters are and be true to them. Well, it, it also means that they've taken on a life of their own. Exactly. And that's the greatest thing when characters yeah. start speaking to you from the page and, and you feel like you didn't create them. You just discovered them. You know, as part of that process, I'm intrigued. You told one reviewer that uh, when you land on the general idea, you start journaling in a notebook. Tell me about that process. Yeah. Uh, that's the way I've been working since, wow, since abandoned, really. Um, maybe even going back before then. Uh, I, I have so many journals. And once I am, like, finished with a book, and I'm done, 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 I'll take a period of time off just to, you know, let the batteries recharge. But then little ideas start floating through, and I'll get a journal, a pen, and I'll just start recording those. And that may go on for a month or so while I'm doing other things, and I'm just jotting notions or characters or situations characters might find themselves in or fields of science that I'm intrigued by. And then hopefully what happens, you know, it's happened so far, is that this this process of journaling starts to get more extensive and I start to uh, zero in on this one idea that I've fallen for. And at that point, instead of just being a free-form general idea journal, the journal becomes a specific journal about the next book I'm writing and it gets more and more intense and then I'm writing about characters and situations and then I'm actually starting to string together story beats. Um, And then it reaches a point where I feel like I've, okay, I've got enough of the story in my head. It's time to now start putting, you know, pen to page and actually creating the book. It was very nice because at some point you talk about, uh, in one of the interviews that I I looked at, uh, about the inception of the Whispering Pines and this 
town in Colorado. You were on vacation and you just had a phone, the phone rang and the phone another rang and you said, ah, what would happen if somebody owned this whole town? And bingo, yeah. you got a, a trilogy out of that. So follow those moments of inspiration wherever they come up. Oh, definitely. I mean, Stephen King describes it as the process of unearthing a fossil. In other words, the story already exists out there in your consciousness. You know, you just have to dig down and brush away the dirt and the sand and, and reveal it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important not to try to force it, but to know that like the stories that are coming up out of my subconscious, it, it's important to let those bubble up because clearly they're all based on some form of uh, um, you know, self-introspection and desire to know yourself better. And I mean, all my stories end up being therapy in reverse. In other words, I think I'm just writing a cool idea as the novel is progressing. And then when it's done, I look back and I'm like, oh, well, clearly that's what I was wrestling with because that's what I was going through at that point in time in my life. Um, I just have to ask this because uh, I've got a brother-in-law who's a a singer and he loves to sing the the old uh, Appalachian song, In the Pines, In the Pines, Where the Sun Never Shines. And I wonder if that was a subconsciously floating around when you did the Whispering Pines style. Oh, wow. No, it wasn't. Um, oh, that's interesting. Did, is that the one? Did Janis Joplin sing that? Well, everybody... A really Fred gritty Belly. version of it? Yeah, yeah, yep. And, yeah, uh, oh, it, it wasn't, but that's... Oh, I love that. I really <laughs> love that, but no, it was not. Okay, darn. Well, but on the other hand, you can tell people now that it was. No, that's not fair. Um... <laughs> When I have to talk about dark matter because the way it starts out, not giving too much away, but here's this guy. He was a respected scientist, but got uh, his girlfriend got pregnant. They got married. He got off of the success track in order to do what he had to do for the child had some problems and uh, took him off the success track. And he goes to see a, a old college friend who has made it big time, just won a big prize. And on his way back, he's interrupted and hijacked. And things get very, very scary from then on. And then it's like Alice in Wonderland uh, going through, through the, 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 the rabbit hole. It just grabs you from the, mo- from the moment that the fellow walks up to him with a gun and a mask. And I, I, I love following that. It's just it, you, the pages flip themselves almost. Well, thank you. I love to hear that. Thank you so much. Yeah. I just have the feeling, though, every now and then, and you're sitting there at the computer, and I, I just feel you pulling your hands off the keys and rubbing them together and chortling just a little bit about some bit of business. And does that really happen? It does. But it's all often, uh, I don't know, it's still, it's a very insecure process. So, a lot of times I think something's working, but uh, I don't know for sure if it's working. Yeah. And I don't know, I thought that would get easier and clearer as I got older and better at this, that I would like know for sure that something was, was great and that the reader was going to be taken along on a ride and not know what's happening and have to know what happens next. But I still have those moments, but the moments for me, I'm, I, I'm like, I would love this if I was 
<laughs> reading this book. Um, but I, you know, I don't take it for granted that readers will uh, until uh, I start to get responses from you know my inner circle of first readers, first responders. Mm-hmm. And that was that was my next question. Obviously, you have somebody who's or a group who are first readers on that because the problem with writing is it's a solitary profession and the lag time between the feedback is considerable. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing knowing when to begin sharing it with people. Early on, I would talk about my ideas pretty openly. Uh, I've, I've become more secretive and more closed in about them. And I've gotten to the point where I want my early readers to, I don't want to just tell them what the book is. I, I kind of want to go off and, and write 100 or 150 pages which is what I did with Dark Matter. Yeah. And what I'm doing with this new book. I want to go off and do that and then tell them absolutely nothing about it and just <laughs> let them read it and hear what they think is happening uh-huh. and hear their just pure cold response. Uh-huh. I think that's like the best. Like, I, I, I know that we have to have promo text copy on every book that's in a bookstore because we have to make a decision about whether or not we want to read it. Yeah. But what a joy would that be to just know that this is the kind of book you would want to read and you're not going to know anything about it. Just dive in and experience the story. I think that is the best way to possibly encounter a novel. And I'd like to give that to my early readers, partly selfishly because I just want their feedback and I, I want it cold and I, I don't want them being um, prejudiced by having heard what it's about. Yeah. Uh, but I also think it's a cool experience for readers to have. Well, and, and for those of us who, who, you know, read a lot of books, sometimes all we have to do is to see the name on the cover and we, we're there. Yourself, obviously. Lee Child uh, is another one that is, bam, I'm, I'm going to read everything he ever writes, that sort of thing. But they're reliable and you know whatever direction it's going to be, you're going to be turning the pages as fast as you can because you can't wait to see what happens next. So. Mm-hmm. Let me switch a little bit and ask you about the difference between what you're writing novels and short stories and, and your screenwriting stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Totally different worlds. Totally different worlds. Um, screenwriting is, is less, it's so much less precious than writing novels because you know that your scripts are going to be changed at every step of the way. They're going to be often rewritten by someone else. Uh, you're going to have to take notes from producers and studio heads and actors will have their thoughts and the directors will have their thoughts. And mm-hmm. So it's something that's in a constant state of flux and it's never really locked until you know, the last frame of the film or the, or the TV show is shot and edited. But I love it because it's a really pure way of communicating a story to, to a reader. And I've, I've found that my novel writing is becoming more reflective of screenwriting. And sometimes reviewers are, um, I've noticed that more, more recently, reviewers will say, oh, this is clearly just written and dashed off to be a screenplay. Look how much white space there is on the page. And <laughs> it's frustrating to hear that because yeah, well, on the one hand, I do hope that the things I write will have a life in other forms of media. But to put that much white space on a page and to tell a story with as much happening 
in it as something like dark matter, but to like not overwhelm the reader with paragraph after paragraph is actually much, much harder to do than it's, it's harder to write something short than it is to write something long. I forget who said it, but some writer was like, yeah, if I'd had more time, it would have been shorter. Distilling yeah, exactly. a story and a character down to using as few words and as few pages as possible to tell a story is, I think, what my ultimate aim is. Um, partly because that's just the kind of, I, I just love white space on the page. I mean, I don't really even write paragraphs anymore. Each sentence basically has its own line, and then we're on to the next sentence. And then I've been going more and more that way. I just, I, it's partly because I love to write that way, and partly because I think we're not, like, books used to be this, the major form of, of the way that humanity um, took in story. Now, there is so much television being produced, great television being produced, so many films. There's so much out there to rip our attention away from just the written word. I, I don't want to waste people's time. I want them to read a story and feel like this is its most distilled and pure version as I could possibly make it. Um, so I don't know, just coming back to the whole, yes, my my prose is becoming more and more in some ways like a screenplay, but only in the sense that it's, you know, I'm shooting for brevity. Yes, yes, absolutely. And there must be something satisfying to about, about when you start a screenplay where you're adapting your own work is that you already know the story. It's done. Yes. You know, it's like, hey, I'm getting, I'm yeah. getting extra money out of this. All I just have to do is you know, run it through another iteration. It's still hard. It's in some ways maybe harder than someone else coming in cold and doing it who didn't write the story. Because screenplays should change. I mean, no real adaptation is just a paint-by-numbers retelling of the book in a different format. You have to lose some things. You have to add others. You have to give some characters more time and, and room than they might have gotten in the book. And you know, those decisions are just, uh, they're hard to make. And it's, you know, you have to kind of kill your darlings to do it. And I don't know, I, I like it, but it's, it's a challenge for me. It, it, it is indeed. Well, apparently it's working out pretty well for you. You know, I have no complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I should hope not. Um, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to share with our, our listeners today? Um, no, I just, uh, I'm so happy we got to talk about short stories. I, uh, I don't, you know, everyone generally wants to talk about the TV shows or the newest book, and it's fun to go back and, and reflect on those. So, yeah, thanks for taking us down that road. Well, I, I just love to find the sources because it's, it's the headwaters of, of this wonderful uh, flowing uh, of talent that, that kind of shows you where it's going to go. So thank you for, for that. And also want to mention that if you are listening to this and you say, geez, I'd sure like to have an autographed copy of that, you can certainly find one at, at VJ Books. I want to thank you so much for taking so much time with us today. And, uh, oh, uh, it was uh, fun. It's my pleasure. Keep up the good work, and um, thank you so much for, for being what you are. 
Yeah, you're my, my pleasure. Awesome interview. Great questions. Thank you for listening to Modern Sign Books. Make sure to follow and comment on who you would like to hear next. Feel free to check out our other author interviews. And visit vjbooks.com to pick up signed copies of all of your favorite books.